Bible, Season 2, Episode 2, the portion of the story of Noah. Our focus this week is actually not the story of Noah, but the story of the Tower of Babel that appears in the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. And our focus this week is communication breakdown. That story, which appears there in the 11th chapter and the story of the tower, is not an oddity in the Bible, but it's certainly interesting. It's certainly a story that if it doesn't exist there, we wouldn't know about it. It could appear in some sort of exegetical midrashic text that this thing happened and we'd probably be okay with it because in the progression of what's going on, we are moving from Noah to Abraham and I think we're comfortable with that. And yet we get this sort of blip on the screen, which is this story, after listing all the different generations, this story about the Tower of Babel, as known in Hebrew as Migdal Bavel. And we know that from the archaeological and historical record that there have been towers or structures found in modern-day Babylonia, which we call Iraq, that are akin to both in the timing of and in the manner of the tower that's described here in the Bible. But truth be told, I have a lot of questions on this story. It's a fascinating little story. It's, I think, approximately nine verses in the text. But in my mind, it's been in my mind for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the reason is because about six or seven weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast, a podcast named Revisionist History, Malcolm Gladwell, been listening since the beginning, and he had a podcast entitled Serious Games, which talked about how war games are conducted by militaries. That's not the interesting part, in my mind. At the beginning, he was discussing how his father, who was a math professor at McGill University, used to have diverse students in his math classes as his graduate students, and he would have them over at his house, and they would play interesting games, created games. And these students were from all over the world, and they spoke many different languages, and yet he'd have them play all kinds of interesting made-up games and also charades. And so what was super interesting to me about the conversation is the notion that we can communicate incredibly well, even when it is that we don't speak exactly the same language, that we can understand each other to a very high level and to a great degree and succeed and accomplish what it is that we set out to do, even if we don't speak the same language, even if we didn't grow up the same. And so when he was discussing this, in my mind, this is sort of how I think, I went straight to the story of the people at the Tower of Babel, of Babel and ask that question. So what that God changed the languages? That should not have stopped them from being able to succeed at what it was that they were trying to do. It would seem that they could still put mortar to brick and brick on top of brick and even not speak to each other, but mime it or, you know, charade it out in a way that they could understand what it was that they were trying to accomplish, even if they couldn't speak to each other anymore. 
And so I'm curious, and my big question is sort of what happened there that suddenly now they're dispersed and it's over, where I was this monumental idea, literally, a wonder idea to build this tower, to build this location, to build this city, and then suddenly it seems like in an instant it's gone. And that to me stems from or sounds like the ultimate communication breakdown. To take it a step further, the most popular person on TikTok, for those of you who are my age and older um, and don't know the technology known as TikTok, it's a video, social media platform video. The most well-known, most famous person right now on TikTok is a young Italian man of Senegalese descent named Kabila May, who puts out fairly short videos. You don't know him by name, but if you want to ask your children or younger people who he is, he's simply mocking life hacks effectively on the, on the, on the platform, and he reacts with what would effectively be a wordless shrug or some sort of look of exasperation. Trust me, you've seen some of his videos. He is by far the most popular person on the platform. And he said the following thing in an interview. The type of gesture came by chance, but the silence didn't. I thought of a way to reach as many people as possible. And the best way was not to speak. Meaning that our ability to communicate does not require speech. It does not require words. It does not require us anything more than simply connecting with another person. We see it with you know, athletes that have this sort of uh, connection one to another. They can create incredible uh, physical feats without speaking to each other. There's just a look in their eye one to the next. They can see each other across a room. Spouses can do this. Family members can do this across a room. Just a look. And the look tells you everything you need to know. You do not need to speak. In fact, in some cases, the words get in the way. And so as the quote comes from Cool Hand Luke, from the captain's speech, is what we've got here is a failure to communicate. And so my question is, what is that failure to communicate? And what exactly does that mean that sometimes we fail to communicate? We have communication breakdowns. And so when one looks at the story, and let's take a couple of minutes here, to look at the story, because the story is fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating, super interesting. It's worth spending time on. These little vignettes in the Bible that appear between the bigger stories that are going on teaches very deep and very important, very monumental lessons. Among the different commentaries is a, an array of understandings as to what this story is doing and why, and why it's here at all. Some related back to the Noah story before, some related back to the historical record, and this is sort of how the families and the, and the nations of the world spread out over the earth. Some connected to what's coming next, which is Abraham. And so there's a sort of this foil approach to this story versus Abraham's story, which is coming next. There's a lot of ways to sort of split it and understand it. And I want to focus in on the communication breakdown. It happens to me it's not the first communication breakdown in the Bible already at this point. Communication uh, breakdown number one is Adam and Eve in the garden, not heeding God's word. Communication breakdown number two is 
sort of the sense of Cain and Abel, an inability to communicate one to the next, it seems. And here's another failure to communicate. The story of Noah, to some degree, is a failure to communicate. People are not able to understand what it is that's going on in the world or cannot appreciate the message that Noah is trying to spread by building the ark, which is that the world is going to be destroyed. There's a communication breakdown. And here is, again, another one. The difference here is in the construct of the people because the people seem to be as unified as possible. As the verses begin at the beginning of the chapter, it tells us, all of the land was one language and of a number of things. The implication being that they got along, that they agreed and that they went out and sought out a place to settle, to settle together. And then they had this idea that once we're going to settle together, let's build a city, because that's fortified and it's stronger and it's centralized. And at the center of that city, let's build a tower, which is more centralized and more powerful and stronger and is symbolic and emblematic of what we're trying to do, that people can see from great distances. There's a lot of what would seem like positivity in what these people are trying to accomplish. Leaving out, again, all the other things that the commentaries talk about, the idea that this was an attack on God and this is an attack on spirituality and this is, uh, you know, some sort of idol worship and they were going to fight a war with God. Leave that out for just to come and focus in simply on the text. They are concerned at the end of verse 4 about the idea that they could end up getting dispersed, meaning they could see that that was a natural progression of how the world was going to build unless they did something to hold it in and to rein it in, which would seem like they were looking for a way to keep it centralized. You could look at that in the negative, that they're trying to control the power and to control the energy. You could look at it on the positive, that they were looking to protect what it is that they had. They were looking to grow what it is that they were, what they had. They were going to strengthen what it was that they were trying to build in the world after the flood and the following generation after the flood. So there's positivity, it would appear, in this. And yet in verse 5, and then in verse 6, and in verse 7, in verse 8, God responds. And God is not happy about this. Verse 5 describes God going down, as it were, going down to see the city and to see the tower that the people, the Son of Man, has built. And God says something additional here, which is super important. It's not just that they are of one language, and it's not that they are building this city and this tower at the center of it. God adds two words. They are one nation. They've become a nation. And so when one looks at the historical record and uh, one looks at what it is that makes something into a nation, so nation states and nations are the combination of a certain set of factors. They're a group of people who share history. They share tradition. They share culture. They'll share, many cases, country. And they'll share language. And so what has happened here is that these people have moved from simply just an idea and a sense of camaraderie into nationhood. They become a nation. And God looks at this, 
This is exactly opposite of what it is that God wants in the world. God wants him to spread out. God wants him to settle the entirety of the world. But perhaps more than that, it seems that God is sort of exasperated by that this is what they're doing. They become a nation. They become one language. And this is what they're doing with it? They're building a big city? They're building a big tower at the center of it? It's like, do you not get the point? Do you not get what this is? It's great that you're unified. It's great that there's peace. The commentaries talk about the idea that this, day, this, this generation is not destroyed in the same manner as the flood generation because there is a sense of camaraderie and friendship and love between these people, even if they're corrupting in nature to some degree because they want to build this city and this town and this tower. And God has, wants no part of it. And so what ends up happening is that God says in verse 7, let's go down and let's mix up their language so that they can no longer hear each other. And then it happens. God disperses them. They no longer build the tower. They no longer build the city. And now we get the name of the place in Hebrew, Bavel, in English, Babylonia, because the, the language in the word in Hebrew, Balal, is to mix, is sound similar to Bavel. Great. And so God creates the miscommunication. God creates the communication breakdown. But I might take it a little bit further. What's interesting to note, and this is a side point, but in a larger conversation and discussion, which if anyone's interested, I'm happy to have on this subject, as I am on every one of the subjects that we talk about here in Coaching with the Bible. When it plays out, God says we should do this, and then it doesn't immediately say then that God does it, right? What happens is God says, let's go down there and let's mix them up so they can't speak to each other, they can't hear each other anymore. And then you one would expect that in the next verse, it would say that God went down and God dispersed and God changed the languages and then, and then he dispersed the people. But in verse eight, it actually just simply skips and says that God then dispersed the people across the lands and they stopped building the city. The change in the language, the act of changing the language doesn't appear there. It only appears in verse nine, which is odd. One could suggests that simply by dispersing them, then the languages change, which makes sense because of time and distance. Uh, they no longer spoke the same language. Um, one could suggest the following, that in fact nothing actually changes. That what happens simply is they could no longer hear each other. That's what the words actually say. God wants to mess around with the language, not so much that they couldn't understand each other anymore. They can no longer hear each other. They can no longer stand to be in the same room as each other. They could no longer agree as to what it was that they agreed before, even if they're speaking in the same language with the same words. The meanings changed. And so they can no longer communicate one with another. And so in the modern language, it would be using words that are old words, using them new and giving them a fresh uh, you know, fresh tone or fresh understanding, or fresh definition. So like in the 80s or the 90s, it was the word bad. So if you said someone, someone was bad, that meant that someone was good. And it's confusing. 
Uh, and you have a lot of, uh, that's like my oldest reference for the day. Um, but you have a lot of words like this. You get a lot of language like this. And we get confused because over the course of time, things shift. And so we're no longer able to understand each other. It could also be simply generational, in the sense that a new generation doesn't understand an older generation, that a younger generation cannot communicate with an older generation. It's simply coming from two different worlds, effectively different planets. And so what happens really, it seems, in the story is that ultimately the result is that the language has changed. What happens first is that they can no longer hear each other. There's a communication breakdown. And even in that space, doing it in nonverbal manner, doing it in sign language, doing it in symbols won't work either because you're no longer eye to eye, you're no longer hand to hand, hand in hand, and you're no longer a nation, you're no longer together. And so you simply drift apart and you spread around the world, which is ultimately what God wanted. But the manner in which God did it seems to be this way. By creating some sort of confusion, effectively a communication breakdown, miscommunication among the people led to the divvying up of the land, led to people being all over the world, led to the breakdown of, uh, of that one society into the great societies that would come and creating the space for somebody like Abraham to exist. And so why do we have communication breakdowns? Where does that come from? So the first thing that happens for them is, is the idea, really, that people actually believe that they communicate. And our work today from Coaching with the Bible will be the idea of understanding why it is that on occasion we personally miscommunicate, whether that's with our children, whether that's with our spouses, with our friends, wider family, and the teams that we work with. Why is it that we sometimes miscommunicate. We can acknowledge it. We can see, oh, we miscommunicated here. We're on talking on different levels or on different planes about the same subject. We're having different conversations, whatever it is. But it's important that before we fix the miscommunication, we have to understand the why of the miscommunication. And the first one, really, that a lot of the literature talks about is the idea that we actually think we have communicated when, in fact, we haven't actually communicated. And so I saw a great article um, which described a, su a study that was done in 1990 uh, about groups of people called tappers and listeners, which is the idea that person you tell a person to think of a song in their head and then to tap it out. And so they hear the music in their head and they hear in the tapping that which the music is playing in their mind. And then they ask someone to guess the song based on the taps. And so the study showed that 50% of the people believed that the listener would get the song right, when in actuality, it was only 2.5%. So only like three times in the 120 times that they did the test did someone actually somehow figure out the, sound, the, 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 the song. The idea being is that we believe sometimes that we've communicated when in fact we haven't. We believe sometimes that we've gotten the message across when in fact we haven't. We believe sometimes that we have put the words in their mouth when in fact we've left it sort of hanging and hovering in the air and nothing in fact has been communicated. And so it's important that we actually do communicate, maybe checking for understanding, maybe making sure that the person actually heard what it was that was said. 
And sometimes it is the case that we talk without listening. We're not interested in what it is that people are interested in. We're not talking to what they can understand. We're not talking in a way in which they can actually connect to what it is, to what it is that we're actually saying. We're not as eloquent as we might actually believe we are. And so the first is sort of thinking that we actually need to communicate. The second is really talking without listening. We hear ourselves and we pat ourselves on the back for an incredibly beautiful message that actually nobody heard. And so there's so many things that are going on as to why it is. Sometimes it is that we say too much and sometimes it is that we say too little. And so we overdo the message and it gets lost, the forest for the trees kind of an idea. And sometimes we say too little because we just assume knowledge. I talk a lot about the curse of knowledge in the Bible. Rabbi David Foreman talks about it a lot. We know the stories, and so we're cursed, quote-unquote, with knowledge, too much knowledge. And so when we then speak, potentially, sometimes, either we, we're short on the ideas, but also when we're explaining, we're short on the words because we don't say enough because we assume a level of knowledge on the other part, and we say too little. And so it's important that we think about it all the way through. Another thing is that we sometimes lack attention to the tone, the manner in which we communicate, right? So it's not just simply what we said. It's not simply the words we've used. It's how we have said them, right? I think the quote from Emerson has to do with the idea that your actions are getting in the way of your words to some degree. I can't hear you because of all the movement, It's not just the manner of what we say, but the tone in which we say it. You know, if we're talking about, you know, um, punctuation, the exclamation point versus the comma versus the period versus the question mark changes it. And perhaps last is simply being boring. So if we think about the idea that if we are not able to get the message across in a way in which someone else can actually hear it because it's too boring, it's not interesting, it doesn't connect, So we didn't actually communicate. We have a communication breakdown. So it is the case that in the case of the Bible story and the tower there, that the communication breakdown seems to be simply the inability suddenly to hear the other. They're no longer actually speaking the same language, even if they're actually using the same words. They can no longer hear each other. The speaker and the listener are on different planes. The listener is coming at it from a new place. The speaker is coming at it from the same place even, but they're not actually connecting. That nexus point where the communication is supposed to happen is no longer there, and it fails. And so it's important for us in the context of the Bible, because we're actually about to meet an incredible communicator in Abraham. And we know that Noah does not appear to have been a great communicator to his people, that you get an instance here in the middle of a group of people who seem to be like-minded and like-ideated and connected who ultimately can no longer communicate with each other. And so it's crucial because the Bible itself is a book of communication, of sharing messages and sharing deep spiritual, philosophical, moral, ethical value ideas that need to be communicated, but more importantly, perhaps, they actually need to be heard. And so it requires that we are mindful and thoughtful and paying attention to how it is that we communicate to other, because otherwise we get nothing accomplished. As it is the case in the story of the tower, 
because they are no longer able to communicate, they're no, long, no longer able to complete the project. And so they abandon the project, and then everything else ensues from there. So Coaching with the Bible this week is about communication breakdown. It's about ability to appreciate how we communicate and when we communicate. We're going to talk a lot more about communication and in particular communication breakdowns in the book of Genesis in particular. And we're going to go much deeper on communication because it, it is vital for life. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. I went a little long. I appreciate your enduring with me for a little bit longer, a little bit extra. See you next week. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. And I don't like it any more than you men.